Um, I'm not sure about you, but uh, I don't think that anyone ever really truly likes being alone. I don't, and I don't reckon that there's many people that do. Um, I'm, I'm sure that most things we do are better when we do them with other people. I mean, working, it's always better to work with other people rather than being alone. Um, you know, you might get more work done if you're by yourself without distractions, but, you know, I always look forward to doing things with other people if I can. A few years ago, Kelly and the kids, and this is many years ago when the kids were no longer weren't at school, um, went down to Tasmania for a holiday. Um, and on this holiday, um, down at Tassie, they went for a week, which was lovely because they got to, you know, spend time with Kelly's family and, um, you know, I was working, so I thought, that's fine, I'll stay at home and I'll bachelor it for a week. And uh, it just so happened that while they were in Tasmania, a volcano erupted and all the ash was coming down and so the planes can't fly in ash. And do you know why planes can't fly in ash? It's because it goes into the turbines and because it, the ash is actually rock particles, they cool down in the turbines and form clumps of rock inside the engine turbines. And so then the planes go... Um, that's why they can't fly in ash. Um, they worked it out after a few times. So, so they were down there and instead of being away for, for a week, it was like 10 or more days. And I'll tell you what, every single day after that week was about twice as long as the one before because I was lonely. I wanted my family back. You know, five days was fine. Seven was okay. Ten was terrible. Um, I'm not sure if you're like that, but I hate being alone for long periods of time. Coming home to an empty house, you know, when it's usually full of noise of children or those sorts of things is, is, uh, is very different. Um, it's beautiful for the first three days. Absolutely glorious. But then it sort of wanes over time. Being alone is not what we're made for. We were made for relationships. And today as we open to Luke chapter 5, we're going to see Jesus express this very human characteristic as we see even Jesus brought people around him to do life together with. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. So let's go. Luke chapter 5 verses 1. One day as Jesus was standing in the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their net. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here Jesus is on the edge of the Sea of Galilee and he has a large crowd gathering around him. And it is so difficult to be heard in, this, in, in the middle of a large crowd of people. And so he uses the natural amphitheatre created by the banks of the sea by heading out into this boat. His voice also carries more naturally over the calm waters. And so he can address a larger group of people more easily and more people can hear his teaching. And so it, it, he, Jesus, in this action, he actually becomes more accessible to a greater number of people. And Luke tells us that this gathering... At this gathering, they were listening to the word of God. Jesus was speaking and they were listening. So what was it that Jesus was saying? Well, we're given that, those, those words, in Mark's gospel. 
as one account of these exact circumstances where Jesus teaches from a boat on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. So if you like, turn with me to Mark chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 just to understand what these words were that Jesus was teaching uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So what does Jesus do? He uses a common farming method to teach in this parable. You know, something that would have been completely regular and relatable as an experience for most of the people listening. He talks about sowing seed on unprepared soil, sowing on various kinds of ground that had not been prepared to receive seed. And the results are as expected. The seed is eaten by birds, the plants are scorched and withered because of shallow soil, others were choked out by weeds and the yield was pitiful, pathetic, Really, it was a waste of time and effort. See, this was in contrast with a seed that fell on good soil, soil that was prepared, soil that had been worked on to be fit for purpose, soil that had been tended to so that a good crop would have the best chance to grow. And this good soil facilitates the growing and increasing and the yielding greatly. See, sowing seed would have been from grain left over from the previous year. So it would have been reserved from the previous year's harvest. And so then that would be sown the next year. And in this region, a typical yield at that time would be from about fivefold to 15-fold. So for every one piece of grain you planted, you could expect between 5 and 15 grains. 15 was an exceptional year. 10 was pretty good. Um, But 5 was, uh, yeah, okay, we're just making an ends meet here today. And so the historical records though, there are yields of up to a hundredfold and these crops clearly represented the blessing of God. And Jesus uh, mentions amazing yields of 30-fold, 60-fold and even a hundredfold. And these numbers, you know, they do seem a bit crazy when your normal expectation of a really good crop is 15 or a pretty good crop's 10. So what does Jesus mean by this parable? How does this yield all work in with what he's teaching. So he's not really giving instructions to farmers. Let's make that clear. They already know this stuff, nothing new to them. But what he's doing is giving us a story to connect with in our efforts of bringing the hope of the gospel. So the good news of Jesus to our community is that seed. And Jesus explains this parable for people who remained with him later so that it could be fully understood. And that's in Mark 14 verse 14. Jesus in explanation says this, The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And so the sower in this parable represents Jesus, but it also represents every faithful preacher of the gospel and they don't even need a pulpit. The various soils, they represent human hearts. The inhospitable hearts in the parable gradually become more receptive but nevertheless remain preoccupied with the cares of this present life in rebellion against God's true purposes. The good soil represents a consistently attentive and accepting heart. Sowing seeds of hope means that we will get all of those results. There will be people who reject the gospel, who reject the hope being freely offered to them. And that's our reality for our ministry too. But there will also be those who respond with an accepting heart towards the free gift of salvation offered to them through the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there will be people who start off rejecting God and choosing their rebellion who over time soften towards Jesus as they see the gospel on display in our lives as we connect with them deeply and with their lives and as they see that on show and on display in the lives of other Christians. When Jesus had finished speaking... He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And I love this. Jesus just finished delivering a great number of of, of teachings. Um, I just picked one out from that. He sees two local business owners on the shore and he asks to use their equipment to, to speak to crowds of people. You know, how annoying is it as a small business owner when, you know, people that you know always want to use your stuff? Anyone feel that? Any farmers out there always lending tools or, you know, anything? No? Okay. He then tells them to head out and do more work. Yeah, that's exactly what they want too, isn't it? You know, because they had been out all night fishing and were actually in the process of packing up when Jesus first says, hey, do you mind if I use your boat to speak from to these crowds of people? And they were, they were cleaning their nets ready to put them away because they had finished for the day. But Jesus says to them, go out into deep water and let's go fishing. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Simon's a pretty nice guy, isn't he? I mean, if I'd been out fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing and some bloke who says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Yeah, sure, all right, you know, I'll see what this dude's all about. What, you want me to go, oh, I'm just done, like, no, I'm done, you know. Like, he's, he's a really nice bloke. Even though he's tired and frustrated from working all night and getting nothing, he humours Jesus and does what he says. He obviously, though, recognises something special about Jesus, having just heard his teaching and he gives Jesus respect by following his request and when they'd done so they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break and so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them 
and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So the number of fish that they catch is so enormous that not only do their nets begin to break, but they also call their partners in to come and help and with both boats and, and these both boats are being so filled with the greatest number of fish that they begin to sink. You know, Jesus demonstrates that he is Lord of the sea and all that is in it. And Simon's reaction is appropriate for times when God himself appears to someone. He fell down at Jesus' knees in the midst of all the fish and asked the Lord to leave his presence lest he be judged as a sinful man. Isn't that just such a humble response to the presence of Jesus? You see, Peter was astonished by the miracle of the demonstration of the presence of God, which was the first step in understanding who Jesus is. And that started his journey of understanding who Jesus is, which wasn't really completed until after Jesus had left. But that's a spoiler alert. At this point, Peter simply understands that God works through Jesus, though he will come to a much deeper understanding of that later. And Jesus seeks to comfort them by telling them not to be afraid. And he builds on the analogy of catching fish by saying that they were now fishers of men. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid from now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. It means that these fishermen would now be focused on bringing people into the kingdom of God and into relationship with Jesus together. They would now be focused on bringing hope. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of what sort of cultural um, implications this had at the time because uh, Jesus, having just taught, became a teacher. If you teach, you're a teacher, right? And what these people were called, if you're a Jewish teacher, you were a rabbi. And so... In this period of time, there were no universities. There weren't really a great depth of schooling. The schooling was basically all 100% done at the local um, synagogue. And so children, when they were young, would all go and learn off by heart the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would learn that off by heart by the age of 12. And then any that showed real promise and real interest and real you know, excitement at these at the Torah and at that, that life would then be selected, the cream of the crop would be selected to then further their studies under a rabbi. And so this rabbi would then teach them and these kids would grow and as they grow into their adolescence and adulthood and become adults, they would then take over as the next generation of rabbis, as teachers. But that was only the best of the best. Only the most amazing students would do this. And so if you weren't chosen to study under a rabbi, you were then rejected and found a trade to work in for your life. So Simon, James and John, they'd been rejected. And so then they found a way to provide for their families by fishing. And then a rabbi comes along one day and starts preaching from their boats and then says, Follow me. Do you understand what that meant for these rejects? It means that someone saw something in them that was worthy. 
Jesus Christ himself called people who had been rejected to follow him, to study under him, to learn from him, to do life with him. Isn't that pretty amazing? Because Jesus hasn't stopped doing that. He did it for me. He's done it for you. And I just, I love that. You know, He doesn't want the people who are the cream of the crop, although they follow him. He's concerned with every person. Because bringing hope is not a solo endeavour. Sowing the hope of the gospel is not a solo endeavour. Jesus' ministry was not a solo endeavour. Sowing the hope of the gospel was supposed to be done with other people. Jesus wasn't the lone ranger charging out there with the gospel. He built a family around him and imparted himself into other people. Jesus invited people to do life with him, to walk with him, to learn from him, to minister with him, to eat and drink with him, to travel with him and even to do miracles with him. Here we see Jesus invite these fishermen to begin a whole new journey with him and it doesn't take them long to decide. They pull up their boats onto the shore, they leave everything behind and follow Jesus. They didn't take the catch to the market and sell the fish. They didn't go and sell their boats. They didn't sell their nets. They didn't prepare for this new life with Jesus. They left everything and followed him. You see, Jesus builds around him a group of people to do ministry with because you can't bring hope alone. It's not possible. You can't be the lone ranger out there on your own because we're built for deep relationships with other people. That is the context for our ministry. The hope of the gospel is brought to people through our relationships with them. You can't bring hope alone. And so it is vital that we develop these deep relationships with people in our church family that goes beyond the 30 minutes we have to a chance to chat with people on a Sunday. And one way to develop those deep relationships is through small groups because you can't bring hope alone. Small groups provide us with the opportunity to grow those deeper gospel-centred relationships, to grow in our understanding of ourselves and other people in those relationships, to grow in our confidence and to be encouraged in our efforts to reach out to our three friends that we're praying for daily, to invite them out for a meal or a coffee, to invite them along to an event at church or invite them along to our Day of Hope in May, which is scheduled on May the 3rd. Small groups help us understand ourselves, the scriptures, our relationships and our church family and our spiritual responsibilities better. They are a safe space where we can grow in the gospel with other people and be inspired and encouraged to bring hope. Jesus developed a group of people around him with which he did life. He ate with them, travelled with them, laughed with them, camped out with them, taught them, taught with them. He sent them out together, he prayed with them, he suffered for them. Jesus gives us the example of how to live a successful life following him. It's in deep gospel-centred relationships with other people, people who know us intimately, people who care for us, people who have our back, who support us, who want the best for us, who sacrifice their time for us as well, with a genuine love for us. Now, some of that takes time to develop. Those deep relationships that Jesus had with these fishermen, Simon, Peter, James and John, were not instantaneous, particularly for Simon, Peter, James and John. You know, deep relationships take time to develop and so it's important that we make it a priority 
and set aside time to invest in those relationships because you can't bring hope alone. Now I know that not everyone will be up for a small group. You might prefer an even smaller number of people to to meet with, maybe one friend or two that you meet up with every now and then. And so a bit of a precursor, March, we're actually launching discipleship groups, which is just that thing. So if small groups aren't for you, that's fine. Maybe discipleship groups might be. Um, and they're a more for, informal way of, of developing those deeper gospel-centred relationships with one or two people over coffee, over lunch, going for a walk, on the golf course, wherever, rather than, you know, five, six, twelve people um, like might be in a small group. And we're not expecting that, that everyone get involved in, in, in these if you don't want to, but we at least ask that you give serious consideration to being involved in at least one of these small groups or, or discipleship groups. So either signing up today or in March um, and start a discipleship group then. But it's vitally important that we do develop deeper gospel-centered relationships because we can't bring hope alone. And so today I want to walk us through what a small group might look like um, and run through uh, the covenant that each group will be established under that will guide the group together for its duration. And as it's the start of the year, you know, our recommendation is that the commitment to a small group is for this year. So if you sign up today, your commitment is to the end of the year as, as a commitment to that group. Um, and, and our hope is that we'll have even more groups running next year. And, you know, some groups might even grow this year and have to split because the home can't contain them. Um, I don't know what God is going to do, but I believe that growth will be happening in our small groups. And so each small group will determine a location with the host as a place to meet. Each group will determine the frequency as how often they'll meet and on which day and for what times. And each group will determine with the leader what sort of content they want for the group. Bible study, social connections, activities, combination of anything, all of the above. Work that out as the group. And there'll be different groups that you might feel more comfortable with joining than others. And that, that's fine. We are all different. Um, and we understand that. But our, our, our small groups tie in directly with our vision of gospel-centered growth because the purpose for small groups is to equip and empower each other to grow in faith and knowledge of the Bible, to express the love of Christ as reproducing disciples, and to grow a life-changing connection with Jesus Christ by applying the gospel to our lives as we build a healthy small group community. And so there are also values that present the covenant for these small groups. And the first value is priority. Because we believe in the value of vibrant family and community, we agree to give priority to our group meetings over other life events that are non-emergency. If we're running late, we will call ahead. You know, sort of respecting the other people in your group, making your group, small group, a priority. The second is confidentiality. Very important. Anything that is said in our meetings is never repeated outside the meeting without permission. This includes what is shared through phone calls, emails, texts, messages, whatever. We want this group to be a safe place to grow. So there's nothing worse than having a conversation with somebody and then hearing that repeated from somebody else, right or wrong, whether they've got it right or wrong. But it's really disconcerting when you thought you had a private conversation and to hear that repeated. So we, that, that's not what small groups are. They're not gossip circles. Um, that, that, that confidentiality is, is a priority. Participation. We agree to encourage, support and stand behind one another 
choosing to see ourselves linked together, we will come prepared to each meeting. So there might be something that as a group you agree that next time we're going to read, you know, the book of Jude. Um, so that's what we're going to look at our next meeting. So we all agree we're going to read the book of Jude. So don't rock up at the next meeting having not read the book of Jude if you've agreed to do it. Participate, be a participant. Particip- a member that does the same stuff as everyone else. Participation. Accessibility. We agree to give one another the right to call in times of need. Even in the middle of the night, the group will provide care for every member. Who wants to be part of a, a small group where no one feels cared for? That's, not, that, that's, that's almost super, like the antithesis of what a small group should be. So we want to care for each other. And yeah, you, you can call me anytime. That's fine. If you're in need, I'm here to help. Of openness. We'll seek to be open and honest with each other. Our small group is a place where we can take off our masks, be ourselves and be accepted for who we are. Please be genuine. Don't, they are, small groups are a safe space where you can be yourself. You know, there's no bad questions. We all learn. We can all grow together. And so, yeah, it's a place where you can be, be real with other people and not always have to have those walls up around you to protect you from life. Respect. We agree to communicate in respectful ways that everyone is given the right to their opinion. We will strive to be available to one another and listen, encourage, support and tell the truth in loving ways. Accountability. We will hold each other accountable for modelling Christ as we respond to God's word. You know, so if someone in group is saying something that you think, hold on, that's, um, that, 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 does, that doesn't line up with, with the scriptures what, or even what way you, they, they might be living. You know, small groups are that sort of safe environment where you can have a, that conversation because you know that that person loves you, has your back and wants the best for you. And so accountability, you know, is, is a dirty word in our culture today. No one wants to be hold, held accountable for their own actions or for their own decisions, their own thoughts. Um, but it's really important that we are, that we submit ourselves in accountability to other Christians as iron sharpens iron. Open chair. We agree to keep an empty chair for others and seek to reach out to people like us who need this place of caring and growth. Eventually we plan to reproduce our group. That might be a bit of a stretch for a lot of groups because a lot of groups are comfortable as they are and it's okay. Um, But I I always like to have that, that sense of of having other people in mind, other people that might really benefit from this small group, that might benefit from what we get in small groups. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, my friend would could join us? Well, yes, let's be open for that. Ministry. We will encourage one another to volunteer, to serve in a ministry and to support the vision and mission of the church. We will pray for each of our three friends regularly and support each other in our personal evangelism efforts. So those are the things we are going to agree to as part of our small group covenant. That's a quick run through of that. So it's not a surprise when groups start, you can talk about that. And if you want to modify, add, subtract, whatever to your small group covenant when you begin, that's fine. That's what you do together as a group. But that's what we, we sort of set out. And, and no small groups are silos, you know, out there on their own. Um, they're connected deeply as a, as a key element of our church. 
And so I'm going to try my best to actually pop in every now and then on different groups when they're meeting to encourage and and to, uh, to, to, you know, also have that chance to develop relationships as well and to help, you know, remain connected together as as a church. Um, And and we've been blessed in this church with some amazing people. One such amazing person has agreed to come on as our small group's coordinator. Um, And so today we'd like to commission Merv Huggins into this role. Uh, Merv is a wonderful encouragement and he knows the importance of helping people get connected in the church. Um, And this has been displayed over many decades with his efforts with men's breakfasts, you know, which he loves, has a real heart for, um, particularly seeing people come together. And so that's going to be now expressed through his coordination uh, as he helps coordinate our small groups and to bring some of that passion to see people connected uh, into that role. And since our, so once our groups are up and running, Merv's going to be our small group champion. So if you've got questions about a group, he'll be the point person. He'll have his finger on the pulse of what each group looks like and feels like and will be able to suggest groups that people might fit well into if they want to be involved in small groups. And so Merv and I, after our sign-up, we're going to sit down this week and, and collate all the information and uh, we're then going to um, speak to hosts and leaders and put people together and then suggest members for those groups. Um, if you've just signed up, yes, I'm involved unless it's, because there's a couple of specific ones I know are occurring and they're on the sheet as well. Um, but we're going to then send out invitations to people to be involved. And so it might be, you know, you might go along one group, oh, maybe I might try this one because that might work in better for me. So try the next one. That's fine. We understand there'll be a few teething and, and things will settle. Um, and those little niggles will all work out. But we're really excited to see healthy small groups a real healthy small group community established and flourishing this year and into the future. And Merv is going to be a key person to help coordinate that vital ministry for our church. And so it's fitting today that we as leaders of the church pray over him and commission him into this role. And so if Merv and the leadership team could please come out the front. And Jill, would you like to come too? Because, you know, you're going to have to support Merv as tough as that's going to be. But uh, you're welcome to come and join Merv as well and, and as we'd like to pray for you um, and really dedicate the ministry to God um, and commission Merv as our small group coordinator. So if I can have the elders and deacons and Merv come forward, please. And we are going to pray for Merv. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the commencement of small groups in our fellowship. We uh, thank you that you are leading us and guiding us and particularly thank you for Merv this morning in the position that he's taken uh, we thank you for his willingness to do it and we thank you for the gifts that you've given him <clears throat> and his commitment to serve you we pray for wisdom and perception as he serves you in this role may we be faithful in our prayers and support of him and be an encouragement to whatever ways in whatever ways we can as we support him in the, in this role Father, we ask that you will bless him richly and Jill as well and uh, uh, we look forward to great times of fellowship in the small groups and as we uh, see folk come to know you through the gospel and sharing together, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we thank you for Merv. We thank you, Lord, for his generous heart. Mm. Lord, we, uh, we ask you to guide him through your Holy Spirit uh, in this venture. 
and uh, to encourage us, Lord, to help him, Lord, in any way we can with the task that he's taken on. Lord, thank you for my praise and blessing and keep him safe and well. And thank you, Lord, for Jill too. Amen. Yes, Lord Jesus, we just come before you now and as we commission Merv into this role, we thank you for his lovely, supportive wife and may Jill also support him in all the other ways to help this role be a success for Merv and, and their family. And I pray that uh, you would bless uh, each small group with Merv's leadership and his coordination and I uh, thank you for the heart and passion that you've given Merv to see people connected um, in deep gospel-centered relationships and I just thank you for his willingness to be involved and Lord, may you deeply bless this couple. May you deeply bless them in, in mighty ways as they serve you in this, this, this capacity. So we thank you for Merv and ask your blessing upon him, we pray. Amen. So now it's everyone else's turn to get involved. So let's pray as we conclude our service with a reminder again that you can't bring hope alone. That's why we do small groups. That's why we do life with other people. That's why we follow the example of Jesus who said, come follow me and do ministry with me. You know, one of the brilliant miracles of Jesus that I absolutely love the symmetry of is once he's finished, and we'll, we'll touch this later in the book of Luke, but it, it's where he feeds the 5,000 you know, with, with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And he, he gives thanks and he breaks bread and he hands, just keeps handing stuff out. And at the end, we're told how many baskets are collected of leftovers. Can anyone tell me that number? Twelve. How many disciples did he have? Twelve. Isn't that brilliant that where they saw no hope, they end up walking away with a basket each as a practical, physical manifestation of God's provision. And I reckon that we're going to see similar things in our small groups too. We're going to see those miraculous provision of time, of availability, of priority, of values all come through our small groups um, because this is one way that we can really work together um, to be encouraged together, to bring the hope of the gospel and to grow in, in a gospel-centered growth together. So let me pray for us all and then we are going to sing Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning that you've set us a great example of not being the Lone Ranger, but Lord, bringing hope with other people because we can't bring hope alone. And I pray that you would um, guide us that as we sign up to small groups on those sheets, Lord Jesus, that it would be very clear as to the number of groups we'll end up having. It'll be very clear and that these groups would, would all fit together well and that, Lord, each person that wants to be involved would find a place for them to be healthy and to grow together. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would mark this day as, as a special day in the life of our church because today is where we started going deeper with each other. It's a day where we started making a commitment to growing more in the gospel, growing more like you in practical ways, with intentionality and with purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless these groups that begin, that you would bless each person that signs up and that, Lord, this would um, be a great blessing for our whole church as we become more connected with each other and with our purpose here of bringing hope to the northeast. So I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.